I don't know about you, but do you ever wish you could do or have a do-over? There are so many things in my life that I think, oh, I've only had the opportunity to do that over. When I was 12 years old, I had this dream that I went to sleep and my whole life took place. But then I woke up and I was only 12 years old. I keep wondering, am I going to wake up and just be 12 and have the opportunity for a do-over? No, I'm not. But there are times that I just wish that were the case. I think of all the things I would do differently. And maybe you have that too. What would you change if you had the opportunity for a do-over? Personally, I would trust God more. I would entrust my life, my future, my possessions to God more. I would stress less. I would not insist on my own way as much as I did in the past. I would love others more fervently. I would listen more, especially to my kids. I would forgive offenses. I would be more gracious I would put more effort and enthusiasm into the opportunities that God gave me. I would appreciate all the people in my life more. I would treasure each event, like maybe even going to the mall or the opportunity to hug, shake hands, embrace, or socialize with a distance of less than six feet. I would appreciate unmasked faces. I would appreciate being able to watch lips move and the shape of noses and different things like this. Life does not give us the do-overs we wish for. Time goes on. Circumstances change suddenly without prior notice. Those things that we thought were always going to be there are no longer there. And we never know what's going to change or when the change is going to happen. Yet this process that we call life is so necessary to our spiritual development, to becoming the person that God wants us to be. It is only through the follies, the foibles, the failures, the false fears, the feeble attempts, the fruitless endeavors, and the famines of life that we learn, that we take to heart, and that we change. God knows how necessary this process or the journey is for all of us. And so he does not reveal the whole picture to us in the beginning. However, he does give us his promises. He, give us, he gives us hints at what he's going to do. He gives us foreshadowings. And he gives us sometimes these little details that we don't understand. What does this have to do with anything? But all the while, he is preparing us through the circumstances of our life to be ready for the great plans that he has. Ever wonder why God does not lay out the whole plan clearly? Do you ever wonder about that? I, I often think, oh, Lord, if you had just shown me this, I would have behaved so much better. I would have been such a better Christian. I would have been so much nicer. Lord, if you just would have shown me the whole picture, I wouldn't have gotten angry with Brian. I wouldn't have been impatient with the children. I, I could be so much better behaved, Lord. But the Lord isn't so interested in our behavior or our good behavior. You know, when I was, I was reading yesterday about the boldness that we get to enter the, king, the throne of God with, and I thought, Lord, I enter in so many times so irreverently. I don't come in bowing, telling you what a great God you are. I just come rushing in going, I have got the biggest problem. <laughs> right now, I need your help. And I thought, oh, Lord, I, I'm not reverencing you enough. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Cheryl, I want the true Cheryl. I want the real Cheryl. I don't want the image that Cheryl thinks she should be. I, I want those unsanctified emotional outbursts in my throne room. I want you as you are, as you are feeling. This is why Jesus died, to give us bold entrance that we might come as we are. I come into the throne room as I am saying, look at this. This right here needs help. <laughs> this right here needs the right emotions, the right heart, the right changes. This blob of, of pure folly needs Jesus Christ so desperately. 
This is the honest truth. And this is why we can come in boldly with confidence because we come in needing God's help, needing God's work, not in our perfection because as much as we try, as much as we grow on this planet Earth, we will never be perfected. We will never have the level of reverence that God is due because we will never understand the great reveal of his greatness, his goodness is in the future. And in that day, when we know, even as we are known, we will have the right reverence. But right now we have bold entrance into the throne room of God. So back to my question, do you ever wonder why God does not lay out the whole plan clearly before you? I was thinking about this the other day. Why does God use metaphors and symbolism, dreams, parables, and stories to speak to us about what he is going to do or about his work? I believe it's for various reasons. One, that if we knew the whole plan of God for us, and for the future, we would never truly grow or change internally. We would just do these things because it was in our best self-interest. If we knew that it would cause us pain, we would draw back, but we would still want it. We would still want that thing that was forbidden, but we wouldn't do it because it would cause pain. So the true self would never be revealed. We would do things out of compulsion rather than from the heart. And we wouldn't learn the lessons. And we would never truly be strong or trained or prepared. We wouldn't come to know God as intimately as we do. You see, it's the fellowship of sufferings that rivets our attention on God. We would not necessarily cooperate just because we know. We might try to eliminate or avoid necessary steps. We might say, okay, Lord, I see what you're doing, but could we change this wall and make it more open? Or could we move the oven over here? We might even resist the plans of God. You know, I I know that you want it to go this way, but I don't really like this. I remember waking up from a necessary surgery and thanking God that I didn't know how much pain would be involved. I said to the Lord, Lord, thank you that you did not reveal to me before this surgery that I would wake up in this much pain because this surgery is necessary. And had I known the pain involved, I would have said no. I know myself. I would have said, no, I'll just live with this condition. I'll die with this condition. But God kept me from knowing the pain. But I remember even waking up in that pain, God was my only comfort, uh, my only strength. I just said, Lord, I'm in tremendous pain. In fact, my whole body uh, went into uh, like a convulsion. I began to shake from the pain, but I still held on to the Lord. God does not reveal the whole plan to us. We might try to rewrite the blueprint. All of those time travel movies that we see, you know, how how often, you know, this is a desire for so many people to travel back in time and redo all the wrongs. But even in the movies, when people try to redo the wrongs, they mess up the future even worse than it, than um, what they had experienced was. Every, you know, they, they miss a necessary step in the development God uses all the follies, all the foibles, all the failures, all the false fears, all the feeble attempts, all the fruitless endeavors, and all the famines of our life to work in us that he might work through us, that he might work for us, and that he might work with us, with our cooperation, his greater plans. The process of recognizing our faults, our failures, our fallible nature only comes by experience and the journey. God is just as interested in the process as in the end result. He is just as 
interested in the journey as he is in the destination. When we come to Genesis 44 and 45, we come to what I've called the great reveal. This great reveal shows us the reason for God's process. In Joseph's life, we see all that God accomplished in the hearts of Joseph's brother, in Joseph himself, and in Jacob. And we recognize that everything that has previously happened with the brothers, with Jacob, with Joseph, was necessary to bring them to this moment, to this place, and into God's great plans. This is the great reveal. And there are so many revelations, so many things that are revealed in this chapter. We see true repentance. We see the true condition of Joseph's brother's hearts, what has happened and taken place. There will be the reveal of the past sins of the brother, the revelation of all the guilt that they've been carrying. There will be the revelation of Joseph's journey, how God was with him this entire time. There will be the revelation of Joseph's tenderness and good character. There will be the reveal of Joseph's identity as the prime minister of Egypt. But ultimately, the truer, greater revelation is of God's great goodness, God's great purposes, and God's constant care and guidance through the entire process. Genesis 44, this chapter deals with the revelation of the hearts of Joseph's brothers. This is where we see the true change in these brothers. If they hadn't changed, Joseph would not be able to bless them. They would still be a danger to themselves, a danger to their own posterity, to the nation of Israel in the future. They would be a danger to Joseph's position in Egypt. Before Joseph can save these brothers, preserve these brothers, provide for these brothers, or bless these brothers, he must know that they have truly changed. Um, Years ago, I had this friend and she, she was a really difficult friend. In fact, I even use the word friend loosely because I think I was a good friend to her. Uh, I don't think it was reciprocated. Maybe we've all had those non-reciprocal friends. And I remember she wanted to maintain a lifestyle that she could not afford. And her, the lifestyle she wanted to maintain was even a lifestyle far above the lifestyle that I lived. But she would guilt me a lot. And I would, if I was ever blessed, if um, my mom bought me something, she would make me feel so guilty. You know, like, oh, I wish my mother would buy me things like that. I wish I could afford things like that. So I ended up giving her things. Uh, Brian came home one day to no dining room table and chairs. And he said, what happened to our table and chairs? And I said, well, you know, this person really needed it. Um, The next week she sold them at a garage sale. She guilted me out of two bikes that Brian and I owned. We used to take bike rides. Brian comes home, no bikes. And I said, well, I figured we could buy bikes. She sold those at a garage sale. Everything that she guilted me out of, she sold at a garage sale. And then she bought something better and made payments on it. I mean, she was still in that really uh, indebted position. And no matter how I tried to help her, she was in debt, always in debt. And Brian and I, we paid cash for everything. We, you know, we stayed out of debt. And I remember one day just praying about it. And I can't remember if it was a dream or a vision, what the Lord showed me. But he showed me this friend in the middle of the deep end of a swimming pool. And I was sitting on the edge of the swimming pool. And there were a lot of us sitting there. And she was crying out for for help, and I saw her going down and she was about to drown. So I dove in the water to save her, but she wouldn't let me save her. Instead, she pushed me under so she could stand on top of me and stay in the same place. So I had to dive down deeper to get away from her and swim to the side. And again, she started crying out because she was drowning. And again, like an idiot in my vision or dream, I swam out to her and she pushed me under and stood on top of me again. And I realized that I could not save her and myself at the same time. 
And I said, God, I can't save her. I'll only die in the process. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, exactly. You're going to have to stay on the side. Just throw her the life ring. And if she doesn't take it, that's her responsibility, but you cannot save her. And that was really hard for me because I realized I had been saving and trying to save her, but I couldn't. This is where Joseph is. He has to make sure that his brothers are safe because if he tries to save them and they're the same brothers, they will only pull him down and they'll all die together. Over these last years, I have watched certain people I know change for the better. Uh, I can think of two women that when I was young, I thought, whoa, those Wahinis are not safe. We are never going to be friends. I mean, we'll be acquaintances. I will be nice to them. I will say hi. But talk about social distance. Man, let's keep it to 100 miles or more. I just knew they weren't safe. I, I saw it. But you know, I watched both of them change. I don't even know if they know each other. But I watched them change in the journey. I watched a gentleness of soul, a graciousness, and a godliness overtake both of them through the circumstances of their lives. These uh, two separate women have become two of my favorite women. Uh, Two women that I feel safe with, I confide in, I rejoice over the things that God does in their life. But I'll tell you, years ago, they were not safe. But through the journey, oh, what God has done for them. Others that I've known over the years have remained exactly the same. They might look different. They might look like they've aged. They've been through a journey, but they've remained the same. They have not yielded to the trials or testings of their life. In fact, they have been resilient against anything that God has sought to work in them. They're even angry at the journey of of the things that God has allowed in their life. Still others, I know, have gotten worse from the journey. The things that they got away with in their youth are now the practices that they hold tightly to. They used to lie, but now every word that comes out of their mouth is a lie. They don't know how to live without the lies. They cheat even more than they did. They used to cheat a little bit. Now they cheat in everything. They slander in greater measure. I mean, they'd always say like a little thing. It would kind of come into a conversation. You'd be like, oh, but now everything they say is slander. Every time their mouths open, it's slanderous. It's it's lying. It's, It's trying to deceive. They are still set on enriching themselves at the impoverishment of everyone else. They're not safe. Joseph devised a plan So he could test his brothers and know whether they were safe or not. He wanted to test whether his brothers had truly repented, if they were remorseful over what they had done, if they had sincerely changed so that they would not do the same. Were they still liars? Were they still cheaters? Were they still slanderous? Were they still jealous? Joseph's plan would reveal their hearts. So what he sought to do was observe their treatment of Benjamin, the son of Rachel, his true brother, the most beloved of Jacob. What their attitude toward Benjamin would be when they saw that he was favored by the prime minister of Egypt. What they would do when he was caught with the divination cup of the prime minister. So Joseph after giving a great feast for his brothers, sent them away with grain, their money in their sacks. And he had his servants place the divination cup in the sack of Benjamin. Now, a note about this cup. Did Joseph use divination? No, but every ruler in Egypt had a divination cup. And Joseph decided to use this to his advantage. Remember, he's not revealing who he is yet. So he has this divination cup and he wants to, he wants to um, 
have his brothers think that as an Egyptian, he has these powers of divination. And no doubt, you know, all the Egyptians thought he had the power of Egypt, uh, divination. After all, it was Joseph that foretold the famine, that had the ideas, the concepts of how to keep grain uh, in silos and in these storage areas so that Egypt could be fed during the seven years of famine. Probably all of Egypt considered Joseph to have divining powers. So Joseph uses this reputation to test his brothers. After the brothers leave the city, Joseph sent his servants after them and they overcame the brothers. There they accused the brothers of stealing the divination cup. Uh, To steal this divination cup would mean that the brothers were trying to usurp Joseph's power. Again, the divination cup was also a sign of uh, prestige, of position in Egypt. So they're saying, we want your divining powers. We've taken this so we'll know as much as you know. Um, The brothers adamantly deny such a charge. They're not after Joseph's position. They're not after Joseph's power. They are so sure of their innocence that they avow that whoever the cup is found with among them is worthy of death. And if the cup is found among them, not only will that brother die, but the rest of them volunteer to become Joseph's servants. Joseph's servants insist that only the one with whom the cup is found will be punished and the others have the opportunity to go free. The bags of all the brothers are opened and searched. Verse 11, then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack. The brothers are so sure of their innocence, they are hastily opening their bags. They want to prove their innocence. And the search starts with the oldest moving to the youngest. So again, here is the birth order. Here is Joseph's servants knowing who the oldest is going to the youngest. No doubt the brothers not only had relief as uh, the sacks were searched, though the money was found, you know, no divination cup in Reuben's sack, no divination cup in Simeon's, no divination cup in Levi's, no divination cup in Judah. And so it went down. Perhaps the brothers were even becoming more sure of their innocence, becoming more perturbed by this false accusation until They open Benjamin's sack. I mean, think about it. They've opened 10 sacks. These brothers are so in the clear. They're ready to go back to their father. But here now, in the last sack of the youngest brother, there is the divination cup. The servants of Joseph are ready to arrest Benjamin and take him back alone. This is where we see the change, the reveal in the brothers. They could easily allow Benjamin alone to be arrested and they would have their grain. They would preserve their own lives. They would preserve their reputations in Egypt. They could go free. However, the brothers do no such thing. Instead, they tear their clothes. They visibly are upset of what has happened to their brother. They are feeling the pain. They are um, feeling the angst and they insist on all returning to fight for Benjamin. Not one is saying, well, let me go home with the grain. They're saying, no, we're all in this together. So they return to Joseph's house and they all fall on the ground before Joseph. There Joseph accused them What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? What is Joseph doing here? He's inviting repentance. He is saying to the brothers, I know everything about you. You need to come clean. Judah then steps forward to intercede. He is acting as patriarch to the brothers. He is representing his brother's interests and his father's best interests. And in this capacity, as patriarch, as intercessor, he does not deny, he does not protest, he does not excuse, he does not justify, he does not lie. 
Instead, he says, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Verse 16. In other words, he is saying there's no way to clear ourselves. We are guilty of iniquity. Here we are, all of us together, not just the one with whom the cup was found. We are all guilty, verse 18. Judah then asked to address Joseph. This is verse 18. Couldn't read my own notes. Judah's appeal is not for himself. His appeal is for his father. This is a huge change. Before, when the brothers were young, they did not consider the feelings or emotions of their father. They did not have any respect for their father's will when he wanted Joseph to be the patriarch. They were conscious only of their own feelings. They were out for their best interest, no matter how it affected their family, their father, their brother, their relationship with God, or God's word or will. Now, Judah speaks about his father. He says, my father is old. My father has suffered emotionally from the death of his beloved son. My father loves this son, Benjamin. If this lad does not return with us, my father will die. I promised my father that I would keep the lad safe. My father only released him because we were on the brink of starvation. My father's life is bound up with Benjamin's life. Whatever happens to Benjamin will directly affect my father. Judah then volunteered to sacrifice his own life for Benjamin. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. Verse 33. He volunteered because he cannot stand, he could not stand to see the evil that would come upon my father if Benjamin did not return to him. Judah cannot stand to hurt his father any more than he had been hurt. Judah's heart is now for his father's best interest, his father's welfare, his father's emotional state, his father's physical, mental, and emotional health. Though the father is old, though the death of Jacob would make Judah the instant patriarch of the family, Judah does not want his father to die. He wants his father to live. He is not ambitious for the position of patriarch. In Genesis 45, there are greater revelations and revelations behind the revelations. Joseph is revealed to his brothers. The brother's sin is revealed to their father, and the truth about, God, about Joseph's life is revealed to Jacob. However, behind the surface, the greater revelation is of God's great plans, God's great provision, God's great protection, God's great providence, and God's great promises that he has kept. Joseph, the first reveal, is Joseph's emotions. He's unable to restrain himself any longer. Having heard about his father, and I think hearing about his father's love, how his father has never, ever been able to recover from his death, his disappearance. Joseph hearing about um, the, re the remorse of his brothers. Joseph seeing his brother's angst and agony and perhaps looking at Benjamin, he cannot, he cannot hide his emotions. He must reveal, they, they come out whether he wants it or not. Joseph then reveals his vulnerability to his brothers. He sends out or dismisses all his servants, all his protection. The bodyguards are ordered out of the room. And now it is just Joseph among those who betrayed, sold, and hated him. Joseph is vulnerable with his emotions. He openly and loudly weeps before them. I mean, this is something else. I, I know growing up with my father, he just never liked to cry. And when I cried, he would say, Cheryl, 
I can't understand tears. I don't know tears. My father just was so uncomfortable with crying. My mom would always get excited when my dad cried, like, ha ha, you do have emotions. (laughs) And that's something that we as women do. We love to see men cry. But men don't like to cry. But here is Joseph. He's wailing. He can't hold it in. He is open. Joseph then reveals his identity. He tells them who he is. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Verse 4. Joseph then reveals to his brothers God's plan. But do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph revealed to his brothers the nature of the famine. There are still five years that will not allow for plowing or harvesting. Joseph revealed God's plan and preservation to them. Verse seven, God sent me to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. God sent me to save your lives by a great deliverance, verse 7. In verse 8, Joseph revealed how God had been working in his life, placing him in the position so that he could save them, so that it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all Egypt, a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. He orders his brothers to reveal all of this to Jacob. Hasten and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Joseph revealed the plans that he had for his brothers, verses 10 through 11, to dwell in the land of Goshen, to be near to Joseph, families and livestock, that he would provide for all of them. Joseph further revealed his forgiveness and affection for them. In verses 14 and 15, he embraced and wept with Benjamin. He kissed and wept uh, over all his brothers. He talked with all of his brothers freely. Then the family origins of Joseph are revealed to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is told that Joseph has brothers and that they are with Joseph, that they are starving in Canaan. So Pharaoh gives instructions to Joseph to bless his family with the provision of a placement in Egypt, provision in Egypt, and passage to Egypt by way of carts. Joseph then reveals his wealth and provision, providing his brothers with the carts, the provisions for the journey, the changes of clothing, one for each brother, five for Benjamin, uh, along with uh, 300 pieces of silver to Benjamin. And you must remember that clothes were a luxury at that time and in that culture. I mean, a man had like one tunic, one robe, that was it. So getting a change of clothes was great. They probably needed it too after tearing their clothes over the grief of um, Benjamin's arrest. Then he gives them 10 male and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food. I find this so ironic because we read in Genesis 43, 18, that the brothers were so afraid that Joseph was going to take their donkeys. I just find this ironic that he says, I never wanted your donkeys. In fact, I'll give you 20 donkeys to take home that are loaded down with provisions for the journey. Jacob had sought to give the prime minister the best of Canaan, but now it's revealed the best of Egypt and given to the brothers and to Jacob. Joseph reveals their fears. He tells them not to become troubled along the way. He already knows that this is a possibility. So he reveals what could possibly happen on the way home. He's saying, don't second guess what God is up to. Don't give way to fear, guilt, shame. Or as Glinda shared with me yesterday, don't blame one another because that would be so easy to do on the journey. This is your fault. Keep on task. Finally, when the brothers reach Jacob, the true welfare of Joseph 
and his identity are revealed. Joseph is still alive. Joseph is the governor of all the land of Egypt. Now, think about this, because obviously (laughs) Jacob was going to ask at some point, wait a second, how is it that there was blood on his coat? You know, watch this story. And these brothers also have to reveal to Jacob the lie, the deception, all of the lies that they've lived in, but the clearing of their souls. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about godly sorrow, which produces repentance, is not to be avoided. He talked about how it brings this clearing um, in your heart and how it brings this vehemence or um, great desire to follow God and not give in to yourself again. And this is what has taken place and what will continue to take place with the brothers. The one that Jacob had assumed, presumed was dead, is alive. The one that he has been grieving for 20 years is the prime minister of Egypt. That which Jacob considered the worst, uh, the place of death, the worst thing that had ever happened to him was instead a place of life and actually the greatest thing that had ever happened to him. Furthermore, the one that he thought was dead was in actuality the greatest known ruler in the world and the source of all the grain. He was the one who had required Benjamin to go to Egypt. The one that he had feared is actually the one that he is safest with. The one that he had thought was requiring too much was in actuality the provider, the preservation, and the future of Jacob and Jacob's posterity. The very one that Jacob was afraid would kill him by keeping Benjamin was the very one who would preserve Benjamin's life and Jacob's life. Jacob's reaction is that his heart stood still. It was too good to believe. He couldn't take it in. I mean, what? What? Wait, no. Joseph is alive? Joseph, I I saw the blood. I saw his coat. You've been telling me lies for 20 years? I've been living with grief for 20 years that I didn't need to carry or bear? He expected bad news. But instead, he received the best news of all, greater news than he could ever imagine, exceedingly abundantly above everything that he could ask of God or even consider. This morning in my devotions, funny enough, I was in Ephesians chapter 3, and I read that scripture that we all love, Ephesians 3.20, now unto him. God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is the only one who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But here's something even greater. God does do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Jacob's expectations have been so low. He had only hoped for Benjamin's safe return and enough grain to sustain him and his family through this famine. But God went beyond. He returned Benjamin safely. He provided the grain, but he went exceedingly abundantly beyond when he preserved and exalted Joseph and presented him alive. When he kept every promise, he made to Jacob when he prepared a way for them to go to Egypt, when he abundantly provided for them, not only for the journey, but a place in Egypt, when he sent blessing, the blessing of Egypt to them. Jacob was only able to receive this good news when he heard 
the word that Joseph had said. When the brothers repeated what Joseph had said, no doubt something in his heart turned. No, that sounds exactly like something Joseph would say. Oh, those words are just like Joseph's words. Something that had died in Jacob came to life again. He began to hope again. Faith revived and then he saw the provision, provision that Joseph had given, provision that those boys, those 11 boys, those 11 sons of Jacob could never provide. He saw provision that went exceedingly abundantly above everything. These carts that Joseph had sent back loaded with the the good things of Egypt. For Jacob, the greatest blessing of all was the life of Joseph and the opportunity to see Joseph again. It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, we started this study talking about do-overs. And no doubt the brothers of of Joseph right about then were wishing they could have a do-over. No doubt they wished they could have known way back when that Joseph would save them. No doubt they wished they would not have acted so harshly or cruelly. However, it was through these things they learned the depth of the evil in their hearts, the need to deny themselves. They learned how desperately they had wounded their father, and they learned not to trust themselves. And through this process, they learned to love the things that their father loved. They learned to love the ones, Joseph and Benjamin, that their father loved. It was through this process that the brothers were changed so that they could be provided for, preserved, protected, prospered, participants in the plans of God. They needed this process because otherwise they couldn't be saved. No doubt Jacob, had he known that Joseph was alive, that God was at work, he might have tried to move to Egypt too soon. No doubt he would not have grieved or mourned as he had for 20 years. However, the joy of God's work would not have been so profound had he known what God was doing. The appreciation of God's goodness would not be so profound. He would learn through this process not to trust his own emotions or to trust circumstances or what things look like but to trust in God. Perhaps had he been aware of all God was planning, he probably would not have cooperated. He might have said, no, I'm, I'm going to be with Joseph. I, I don't want him out of my sight. Remember how loath he was to release Benjamin? He might have tried to preserve and protect Joseph from all the trials, testings, and training that were necessary for Joseph to become the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph needed all of that training. He needed to be a slave in Potiphar's house, that he might have sympathy for slaves. He needed to be a prisoner in Pharaoh's prison so he would learn to have sympathy for the the accused and the slandered and the, uh, the importuned in Egypt. He needed to learn those administration skills and to become sympathetic. He needed to become someone who could be entrusted with the welfare of the world. God often hides his plans from us because the process and journey are essential for our spiritual welfare and for our future. We need all the lessons we learn in the journey and from the journey. We need the failures. We need our own follies. We need the grief. We need the self-revelations. If we knew the plans of God, we not, might not fully cooperate. We'd like to think, oh, if I could go back, I would fully cooperate. No, you wouldn't. You just wouldn't. 
you would try to avoid the needful and the expedient. We might try to avoid or amend God's plans. So God only reveals in part because he knows how desperately we need the journey that we might be fully fit, fully receptive, uh, fully ready to receive the blessing. The great reveal is coming for all of us. I love David's word in the Psalms. I would have fainted lest I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Looking at Jacob's life, Jacob did not have such a hope. And so he was fainting because he did not know that he would see the goodness of the Lord while he was still alive. The great reveal, again, is coming for each of us. Maybe you've had a partial reveal. Maybe you've you've seen God working in some of the circumstances, or you've had a promise that you're holding on to, or you've had a hint, or you've had um, a foreshadowing, or something when you're reading the word, this story just leaps out at you. Because God is saying, I have something great in the future. George Mueller said, faith is not learned in comfortable places. It's not learned in fortuitous circumstances. It's it's not learned when everything is going great and we're not making any mistakes. And in fact, um, I've just been making this cheesecake that personally is like amazing. But I can't tell you how many bad cheesecakes I have made over the years until I perfected this gluten-free, refined, sugar-free cheesecake. And now I know I'm going to be inundated because every time I mention a recipe, there are a lot of you that say, give me, give me, give me. And I, I caution you against that. But faith is is learned through our failures and through famines. It's not learned in the best of circumstances. And God allows these things to give us the opportunity to exercise faith, to believe him above the circumstances, to believe his word above what we see, to believe in his plans above the temporary discomforts that we are feeling now. Perhaps you've seen how many of the things of your past were necessary to drive you to Jesus. Perhaps you can look back and say, wow, if it wasn't for that, I never would have come to Jesus. If it wasn't for that failure, I wouldn't trust God like I do now. I would still be trusting in myself. Perhaps you can see just an inkling of how God has been working in the circumstances, in the hard places in your life to change your heart, to help you to grow spiritually. But let me tell you, friends, as many of those hints that you've had or foreshadowings, there is a greater reveal that is coming. The greater reveal will come when we stand before Jesus, when we see Jesus, when we see him on his throne, the one who was betrayed, sold, given over to the Gentiles, crucified, when we see him sitting at the right hand of the power on high, then we will see how he has been preparing a place for us and working through all the circumstances of our life to preserve, to provide, and to create his own posterity. My dad used to say, never give up what you know for what you do not know. He would say, never give up the lessons you've learned in the light for the, less, for the, for the darkness you feel around you. He used to sing a song to me when I was a little girl, and he'd sing, farther along, We'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. You'll understand it all by and by. The greatest reveal of all we will never have on earth. But a time is coming 
when we will stand with Jesus, when we will see him who was crucified, who was presumed dead, we will see him alive and in the greatest place of power. And at that moment that we've seen dimly, we will see him face to face. We will see so clearly and we will understand all of the means and ways that God has graciously worked in the past in our lives. We will understand the reason for everything and we will praise the Lord for both the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly in our lives because God used it all that we might be in the presence of Jesus, that we might be provided for, that we might be preserved, and that we might be part of the great posterity and plans of our great, great God. There's a great reveal coming, but for now, have faith in the promises of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the journey is so important. Lord, we thank you that you just want truth. You want to work with us as we come. Lord, you accepted us as is. Lord, you didn't expect us to clean up or reach perfection, and we can't without you. But Lord, we thank you that you are working in all these things for a greater reveal. Lord, even a greater reveal in us. Lord, that eye is not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the imagination, the things that you have for those who love you. Lord, we thank you that there will be a great reveal that this corruption will put on incorruption, this mortal will put on immortality, Lord, that you will reveal even your beauty in us. Lord, we long for that day. We long to see you in all your glory. But Lord, as we journey back, Lord, as we're in this time, Lord, feasting on your provision, Lord, may we receive, Lord, your goodness even right now. May we believe you right now. May we believe your promises right now. Work in these present circumstances, a greater measure of faith, a transformation in our hearts that we might be recipients of all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.